Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Thanks, Sam and uh, team. It's really great uh, just praising the Lord like that. We're going to read uh, a section of scripture, Romans um, chapter 10, verse 1 to 15. And these uh, chapters in Romans uh, from 9 to 11 have always been a bit of a struggle for me. Um, but uh, so I thought I'd look at this particular section. So Romans 10, 1 to 15. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith and we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's just pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word. It's uh, inspired, we know, and it's profitable for teaching, uh, correcting, helping us uh, to be trained in righteousness so that we may go out and honour you and praise you and do the things that please you. And so, Lord, uh, help us to understand your word and apply it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here at Exchange Church, we uh, hold that the gospel is the answer to all our challenges, uh, that is, and to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so what we have here in Romans 10 is a concise statement of the gospel and uh, we want to unpack that a little bit. You know, the questions we could ask or someone might ask us, what is the gospel? That's quite a, a, a good question to ask ourselves or ask other people to ask us. And secondly, how can we share the gospel? Now this uh, passage in Romans 10, 1 to 15, 
as I've looked at it, it breaks down nicely into three sections. And it's important to um, see uh, the problem. That is, uh, we talk about the gospel and that, that word means the good news. But in order to understand good news, we need to understand what the problem is. Um, we cannot understand the good news without knowing why it is good. So, uh, first of all, we're going to look at, in verse 1 to 4 at the problem and then in verse 5 to 12 at the solution. And then we're going, in the last verses, 13 to 15, there is the challenge that we uh, are given. So, verse 1 starts off, <clears throat> My heart's desire, Paul's writing, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now he's talking about his own countrymen, the Israelites. This is what he's, um, if, we, if we read Romans through, we'll understand that that's, uh, th- these three chapters are all about that. And the problem is that many of his fellow Israelites are not saved. And Paul's heart here, you can see, he loves his fellow countrymen. What's our heart's desire? Do we have a, a desire to see our fellow countrymen saved, our Australians? Is that your prayer? Well, <clears throat> let's think about this problem. And Paul goes on in verse 2 and 3 to point out there are two things that uh, the Israelites have, two things. One is a zeal without knowledge and the other is ignorance. A zeal without knowledge. What's what's that about? What's that look like? Well, if we're reading through Romans, the the chapter before, chapter 9, talks about the Israelites, what they are like, what what their culture's like, um, what they understand about themselves. They uh, belong to the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. These people are are very knowledgeable about God and his dealings with man and the fact that he's the creator and sustainer of the world and how he's come to them and brought them uh, through many trials and tribulations to, to where they are now. And Paul just tosses in there as well um, and from their race according to the flesh is Christ who is God over all blessed forever amen Uh, now would it be reasonable to say that of all the nations and all the people groups the Israelites have the front running as far as anyone that could be saved they know all about God they know what he's done for them and how he's rescued them from slavery and brought them out to, a, to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet they're not saved, are they? What Paul's saying, they're not saved. We think about how difficult it is to reach people in our community and, and some people, um, they have no knowledge of God. They don't think that there is a God go back 30 years ago into more of the modern thinking and yes, a lot of people believe that there is a God, although they didn't know him. 
but today many have no understanding whatsoever. So you'd think that these Israelites would really just come to understand, but they don't. They have a zeal and they have a lot of knowledge, but it's not the right knowledge. And when we look at uh, Paul, for example, he was an outstanding example of an Israelite. Look how he boasts about what uh, he had, and we can read it in Philippians 3. He had every reason for confidence in the flesh, he says, because he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, as to the law, he was a Pharisee and exceeding uh, most other Pharisees. As to zeal, he said, he was a persecutor of the church. He wanted to uphold the Israelite faith. Um, And so he... He, he did persecute the church. But he goes on later to say, well, what I counted as, uh, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Because he had met Jesus on that Damascus road. He, Jesus had talked to him and he'd come to understand. He, he was saved, but his fellow Israelites were not. And so let's think about, as we think about the Israelites, let's think about what this zeal without knowledge could look like in today's uh, world. Um, you know, we, we, know, we see uh, boyfriends and girlfriends. Anyone seen any boyfriends and girlfriends around lately? Well, just think, just think about um, uh, the boyfriend wanting to impress the girlfriend and uh, a newly acquired girlfriend and so what can he get this girlfriend that is um, going to show how much he admires her and much he he loves her oh you'll get her some flowers and so he goes to the flower shop and he gets these lovely flowers and they got a particular perfume a really strong perfume and uh, of course he wants to surprise her so uh, he he picks the moment and there he He presents these flowers, but the reaction he gets is quite different from what he expected because she breaks down and breaks into tears. He didn't know, you see, despite all his zeal, his enthusiasm, that she was somewhat allergic to perfumes from flowers and it could end up in hospital, so that wasn't very good. And he asked her, what's what's wrong? What's the problem? And she's, she's crying and she's <laughs> saying, do you really love me? And she says, do you know anything about these flowers? He says, oh, what, what's wrong with them? He says, well, they're called death lilies and they're normally at funerals. See, the effect that he had hoped was quite the reverse. And um, I know, you know, this is perhaps in everyday life, but it happens in the church too. We met, uh, Julie and I met a lady over in Adelaide um, many years back who had come out of a church and the church was very zealous for upholding the scriptures, very zealous and they had some rules or some ideas about what, what she should do with her life. Now, she was a very educated and a very well-trained, intelligent lady. And her job that she'd worked on and worked for and 
got the qualifications was to train aeroplane pilots. She would teach them to fly. But according to the church, that was a no-no because a woman shouldn't have authority over a man in that situation. So that sent her into a depression and, and she had all sorts of struggles. Thankfully, she came out of that situation. But um, we see it, don't we? Many churches and many situations, we might have um, think back as to what we've heard or what we've experienced. Back in the 90s, there was a guy named David Koresh um, from an interesting place called Waco in Texas. And David Koresh had adopted uh, some teachings from the Seventh-day Adventist church, uh, was, you know, and he had um, believed that his group, the followers of him and, and the guys before him, were of uh, following what all the revelation uh, symbols. They were, they were the sons of the seven seals. They were of the branch. They were of the line of David. They called themselves branch Davidians. They uh, were the two witnesses. And so they had this... Um, skewed idea of from the revelation of what they were on about and what was going to happen. But they also rejected the idea of paying taxes and they also liked the idea of resisting the government. So they took up arms. And what happened was there was a siege for 51 days in their little compound and they fought it out with the... Um, the authorities and 80 people died. They had a great zeal, but they lacked the knowledge, the understanding, the proper understanding of the scriptures. And it's a great trap reading scriptures. Um, I heard this saying years ago, and it's still applicable. A text without a context becomes a proof text for some erroneous teaching or a pretext for, for some man made doctrine. So we need to read the scriptures in the context they're in. So this is this zeal without knowledge. The Israelites had that and we too, even, Christ, even people in churches can have that zeal without knowledge. But the other thing they had was an ignorance, an ignorance of God's way. They sought to establish, Paul writes, their own way of righteousness as one commentator put it, it's like God uh, laid it all out there, set up his, uh, his um, like someone set up their business on the street, but what they did was set up their own business over the other side of the street and uh, started hawking their wares and rejected God's way, God's uh, right way. And in verse 4, um, Paul goes on to say... Um, that uh, Christ is the end of the law. Now this is sort of helping us understand a little bit about this ignorance. They established their own righteousness. They didn't understand that Christ was the end of the law. But what does the end of the law mean? Well, let me tell you. Um, and I've... Uh, I think it really helps, again, to sort of refer to another part of Scripture... 
I, I just love the analogy in Galatians 3 where it talks about the role of the law. And obviously we can understand what Jesus said. He said not one stroke, not one dot of the law will pass away until, until he comes back again. He said he'd come to fulfil the law. But in Galatians 3, it uh, helps us to understand a little bit about the role of the law before Christ came. The law is like, it says there, a schoolmaster or a guardian. We might say a live-in nanny. Someone that uh, there is guides um, the children, guides the people uh, in in certain ways, protects them and uh, helps them do the right things and and gives them um, an understanding of what the right things in order that uh, before the master returns. And so, you know, the law still has a role to play. It, um, you know, we have the Ten Commandments and of course they're all often put in that negative sense but Jesus turned it around and says... This sums up the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And so when it comes down to it, these two things, the zeal without um, knowledge and the ignorance of God's way of salvation, it all comes down to the fact that what Paul has already outlined, but he needs to explain it again to the Israelites in a certain way. And what does Paul outline? Well, we go back in Romans and 1 to 3, chapters 1 to 3. And there he sets out the problem in detail. Firstly, all have recognised God in some way. Every person has recognised that there is a God. Even when we think about someone in some remote jungle place that they've never heard the name of Jesus... Romans 1.20 says his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. People will set up their own rules and they'll seek to live by them, but often they fail or usually they will fail. And so Paul writes there in Romans 1.20, they are without excuse. All recognise God in some way and therefore um, they need to, to ex- recognise and honour him, but they don't. Secondly, they, they reject God, they don't honour God. And, and Romans one twenty one, although they knew God, they did not honour him or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, foolish, and their hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And so all recognise God in some way, all reject God in some way and therefore all are guilty. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory or God's perfect standard. So that's the problem. And people don't acknowledge that they have a problem because they come up with all sorts of reasons. But essentially... It comes down to not accepting God's way, God's uh, way of saving and also our total inability. 
Now, some people will say, oh, yeah, but I don't like the idea of God, God's wrath. It talks about in Romans 1.19 that God is pouring out his wrath. We are storing up wrath. And we need to understand that God's wrath is his settled. It's not a capricious, it's not a sort of a, a random anger. But God is justly and rightly angry over the rejection of him. I heard a great illustration of God's wrath. It's like we're standing before a, a great um, dam wall, maybe 200 metres high. It's massive. And this dam wall has a number of cracks and a little holes and so a bit of water squirting out here and there. And we can see eventually it's going to, it's, it's going to break. This, this dam, when it breaks, it will wash us and take us away. We'll be just total devastation. And so what we do is we try to plug up some holes and try to keep, keep life um, going for us. You know, we don't want that wall to crack. And that's like our feeble attempt at our own righteousness, our own way of doing things. Of course, this is the problem, you see, we, that's what we do. And just to finish the story, when we come to accept Jesus, Jesus comes and stands with us in the day of the flood. The wall's going to crack, the flood's going to happen, but Jesus comes and stands with us. And um, what he does is he takes the wrath he takes that damn wall and he opens up, the, opens up the ground and takes it down so that we uh, stand perfect, covered by the love of Christ. So what can a person do when we understand the problem? Well, we need to accept the problem. Israel didn't do that, but we need to do it. You know, in the biblical imagery, this is, this is really part of the gospel. We are blind, we are deaf, we are dumb, we are lost, we're unable without hope in all our ways if we're without Christ. That's the truth. That's what the Bible says. But let's come now to the solution. And I'm going to skip verses 5 to 8 and go to what Paul says there in, in um, verse 8. There's, that, that is the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth and believe, uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is the gospel in a, a, in a very concise and wonderful way. And we can look in various other parts of the New Testament and find similar concise statements. But of course, it needs unpacking and there's a lot more aspects to um, this but Paul gives us two important things we need to believe in our heart um, that Jesus was raised and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord what it's saying is that it's it's an internal thing and it's an external thing it means a radical change it means a whole new under, way of understanding life that God is the creator, God is the sustainer of life. But we have that problem of not honouring God, not recognising God. 
And God needs to come and redeem us, buy us back, as it were, so that we may know we're acceptable before the judge, before that great day of the flood. Now, a lot of people, a lot of churches, we have them, three-word slogans, the political parties have them, you know, stop the boats. We have Jesus changes everything or the gospel changes everything or grace changes everything. But it is much more complicated or much more, um, there are many aspects. It's true a four-year-old child can understand and accept Jesus as Lord but they'll have to grow and they'll have to learn many other things as they go on. Now, let, let me just give an example of some, something that we can see here in Romans 10, that there are three aspects of salvation, three, in, in a sense, it goes with the, with the tenses, you know, the past and the future and the present, you know, past tense, um, we did that, we were there yesterday, uh, present tense, we will be there tomorrow and we are here now. Um, so we are saved in this way. We are saved from the penalty of sin. It is talking about what Jesus did on the cross. It is a past historical event and, and we need to believe that he did it for you and me. He died the death you deserved. And he lived the life you could not live and gave himself, gave you his righteousness. This is the great exchange. It's a double exchange. He gives you his righteousness and he takes your um, sinfulness. So you have been saved. So past, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Future, we are saved from the presence of sin. You know, we have this hope, a sure and certain hope, the writer of the Hebrews says. Jesus rose again, not to ever die again. He lives and intercedes for us. And um, yes, in this time, we, there, sin is all around. Sin is in this world. Sin can infect our lives. But as Paul writes in Colossians, our life is hid in Christ. And th there's a great little um, word that reminds us we're in a fruit growing area. Um, we know all about growing fruit and there is always the first fruits. In 1 Corinthians, Jesus is the first fruit. So we see that as Jesus uh, was raised to life, so we shall be raised perfect as he is. You, and again, we are more sinful than we dare believe, but we are more blessed than we ever hoped because of what we have to look forward to in the future. The penalty of sin, the presence of sin, but what about now? What about the present tense? And here again, um, we can think about uh, the past was faith and the future is about hope, but here is love. We are saved from the power of sin. 
It is an ever, he is an ever-present help in trouble. And he rose again and he tells his disciples, I won't leave you as orphans because when I return to my father, I'll send you a counsellor. Uh, and I will be with you always, he says in Matthew 28, even to the end of the age. We have his presence. That's a marvellous thing. And he, like us, was tempted in every way, but he did not sin, it tells us in Hebrews. The Father sent Jesus and Jesus willingly came, humbled himself. And he came to save us. But then he returns to the Father and the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit so that we can put off the sinful nature and put on the Spirit and uh, we are cleansed and forgiven. So there's three aspects of in a sense, the, and we'll see that in this passage, you know, you will be saved, you are saved. But also, we've got to think about who is Jesus in terms of the gospel. Uh, he is both human, and we get a sense of that. You know, Paul, Paul writes, he is of the tribe, he, he is descendant from the patriarchs. His connection, his lineage goes back to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Um, he's human. But he's also Lord. Uh, Jesus is Lord. And that word Lord means he is God Almighty. He is Yahweh, as in the Hebrew. So um, try to explaining this or try to understand this for someone that doesn't understand God, that there is... Jesus came and he's both human and divine together, is, is, is a bit of a difficulty, just like trying to explain the Trinity, that God is one, yet God is three persons. And so what I'm saying is that salvation, it's, it's a great little nutshell here, this um, believe in your heart and, and uh, confess with your mouth is very important internal, external, but um, we need to understand that uh, there's much more to the gospel than just um, a short sentence. So that brings us to the challenge. Um, and the challenge here is it does take time to learn about God, learn about Jesus, learn about what God is doing. Um, in Romans 10, 13 to 15, there's a little bit of a discussion going on here. Paul poses a number of questions, which hopefully we, we say, yeah, obviously. Um, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him unless, uh, unless they believe? And you notice there's a difference between calling on the name of the Lord and believing. What's that about? Well, you can believe the facts, but calling on the name of the Lord is, again, this deep, heartfelt change, radical change, where because what God's done for us, therefore we are prepared to go and honour him. Calling on the name, it's an Old Testament term that um, we'll, we'll come across again and again, but to call on the name of the Lord is to be in a relationship, to trust him. 
and believe in him. And then he goes on with another question. How are they to believe in him if they haven't heard of him? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? I guess we could easily say, oh, well, it's all about preachers going around and preaching the gospel in, in churches and elsewhere in the public squares. But it's about everyone sharing their faith. That's what, um, that's what I think there's a sense there. That if you want to know about um, what it means to be a Christian, if you want to know about the gospel, if you want to know about what God has revealed, then someone needs to come and help explain that. It's a fact. If you think back about how you've learnt about Christianity, that someone needed to explain certain things to you. You might have grown up in a Christian home. You might have had this taught from day dot. But someone was explaining it to you in kids' church or Sunday school or somewhere. And so hearing leads to believing, but that's not all. It's a life-changing, they need to relate to Jesus. It's really about being ambassadors for Christ. God calls Christians everywhere to be his ambassadors. And then we have this amazing statement, which is a little bit of a, um, an interesting one from Isaiah, the statement, Paul quotes, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring you good news. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at my feet and they can be pretty smelly, they can be dirty and, and they can be pretty ugly. But do you get it? How beautiful are those feet? <laughs> because someone's come and explained the gospel and all of a sudden your life changes. The gospel, God is beautiful. And you can be a religious person and still not get it. But, you know, um, we... we Certainly want to be obedient to God, committed to God, submitting to God, seeking God. But a religious person is more or less driven by this works-orientated view. A Christian is attracted. We see the beauty of the gospel. And um, so here is a couple of takeaways. If you're a Christian, you don't just learn the gospel this is like abc and now i've arrived now i know everything and i'll be right the gospel is not just some basic doctrine it's a whole way of life it's a way you solve problems solve the difficulties it's a way you are changed in life you continually grow through reapplying the gospel re-grasping understanding the gospel keep repenting and putting God's love above every other love. See, if you love something, uh, it may be very good. You love your wife, you love your kids, you love your house, you love your car. Um, but if the good love becomes an ultimate love, you're putting that above God, then what you're turn doing is turning that love into an idol. So the only way to deal with that is to have a greater love. Turn back to God. Put your focus on God. Set your eyes on Jesus. 
and uh, that replaces that love. And it's the power of the gospel. This is really the power of the gospel for all those who believe. And here's a, a, something for if you're an unbeliever. Romans 10, 5 to 8. I just love this, what, what Paul does here uh, for the Israelites is, uh, is basically ask, look where you need to go. Where, where do you really learn about God? Well, God's not far away. Uh, Israel originally heard the appeal of Moses uh, in Deuteronomy 28 to 30. And Paul's quoting Deuteronomy 30 and, and a couple of verses. Um, and Paul's saying, you know, um, quoting those, those words, um, where, where, you know, how far is God away? And uh, just understanding the history, in, Mo- in Deuteronomy 28, uh, Moses outlines the blessings of obeying God and with your, all your heart. So there's great blessings and the enemies won't triumph over you and y- your crops will grow and be bountiful and you'll have many children and there'll be peace in the land and, and everything will just go on gloriously because you love the Lord God and God's doing this for you. But then in, verse, in, in Deuteronomy 29, he talks about the curses. And what happens is that if, if you reject God and you follow the religion of the other nations around you, uh, you'll have nations invading you, nations um, trampling over you. They'll rape your women and take away your kids and you'll be scattered around all, all, all parts of the earth. And, he, and then Moses says, and actually that's what's going to happen. That's what will happen. And you'll be living under that curse. And so the Israelites back in the first century thought, well, you know, sure, Israel came back after the sacking of Jerusalem in uh, 586. And they established the temple again under Nehemiah and Ezra and so on. But then the Romans came and they're still all scattered around. So they're still living under the curse. But the interesting thing is that in Deuteronomy 30, which is what Paul quotes, is that uh, God is going to do another amazing thing. Uh, If you turn around, even while you're in these scattered places, if you turn your heart to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and strength, then I will do something amazing. I'll circumcise your hearts and you'll, you'll be blessed again and I'll draw you to myself. And you see, that's what Paul is saying here. Um, Christ is the key. Moses was pointing out the gospel way back then and you've been reading this and you haven't picked it up, but Christ is the key. God has sent the Messiah so that your hearts can be circumcised. And um, all, all along you've lacked that knowledge of him, the person and the work of Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So if you're not a Christian, if you're not, if you're not sure about Christianity, well, you better keep coming back to church because that's where you'll learn something. 
and get a good Bible translation. Read the Bible, especially the Gospels, and ask some questions. Ask, get someone to read the Bible with you. That's always a good thing to do. Uh, we may be shy, um, but you don't need to be. You say, this is what I'd like to do. And uh, I'm sure many people are willing to help if only we would know how to help. Well, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that uh, this passage is such a, a, a helpful understanding of the gospel and a helpful understanding that we are sent into the world to share the gospel, that we are uh, demonstrate, we are ambassadors to demonstrate uh, how the gospel changes. And so, Lord, just uh, work in our hearts and minds uh, this day and in the coming days to help us do that, to, to continue to allow the Spirit to work in our hearts, to change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.